Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. We are going to do a first ever on the podcast. I hope you're all sitting down. Unless you're standing and listening, then that's great too. Uh, we're going to do two back-to-back in one episode. One episode. Uh, I feel like I'm uh, like a circus. Uh, step right up, step right up. Come and see the great show of uh, Nate and Mike smoking uh, two Alec Bradley seconds back-to-back. Uh, yep. These are unlabeled. Uh, but we've got a light wrapper, and we've got a short wrapper, and they are, uh, what, Rothschilds? These are Rothschild size, yep. Uh, so we're going to start with the light one. And we've got a doozy of a topic uh, this episode. But we're going to start with the light one, and then we'll get into the topic. So I'm going to get uh, get cut and lit. And uh, Mike will tell us a little bit about the cigars. So these are Alec Bradley's, as you know. Uh, Rothschild size, which I like. And Alec Bradley makes a lot of uh, promo style cigars, I would say. And this is something they call a second. So these are not, uh, they're usually wrapped too tight or too loose. So there's something off about them. Uh, Maybe the color, the one I have is not off color. I got them in a bundle. Uh, I don't know. Mine told me an off-color joke, but uh, otherwise right, it's, right, uh, yeah. it's pretty good. And you the, know what? And and I have to say, I just lit it, and the draw is amazing through this. So it might be loose, looser than their spec. That's it. Might oh, be oversized. Be. You know for what? The that could be of the original cigar, and I don't even know what these are originally supposed to be. To be perfectly honest, uh, it's not like the Edge Fumar. Uh, something it's more like the the bin maduro except i know the brand of this one yes okay hmm. you know uh i'm just gonna go out on a limb and i i think i mentioned before on this podcast that i'm not the the uh the taste expert and i'm not the smell expert you know my wife sometimes would be like oh what's that smell can you smell that and i'm like no <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about um but i i'm getting kind of like an almost like a nutty like kind of like a nut flavor uh, from this. It is. And they smell really nice. They, they smell. Oh really, yeah. 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 You know, like what a cigar should smell like. Yes. Uh, ha ha ha. But so first few puffs, uh, you know, I like it so far. Uh, as we know on the show, sometimes, uh, what you taste at the beginning is what you taste at the end. And sometimes it's not, but, uh, as, as it stands right now, even though it's a second, uh, I would happily smoke this all the way to the end. Yes. Like I say, most of these are, it's a branded second, so it's probably going to be pretty good. And yeah. uh, you can guess based on the shape and the color of what they're supposed to be. Yeah. Wink, wink. It's not like a Fuma where they're saying it's this cigar. This was supposed to be a factory world cigar that was just one of the ones that couldn't pass the test, so to yeah. speak. Well, and they have other cigars that don't pass any tests, and they probably just trash, right? Like quality control purposes, quality like control. it got wrapped weird, or you know, the length. I'm guessing they don't have a lot of wrap issues. They probably have a lot of discoloration issues as they age. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because usually when they're discolored, it's not like really obvious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, not to, not to like you know us, <laughs> right? Who's, we don't look at their production line every day, you know. Right. It's a cigar that would look out of place in the box. Yes. 
Uh, but not out of place in my hand, which is where it currently no. is. So, no. And I like smoking seconds. I think a lot of guys like myself do. Yeah. There's really nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, uh, so, and, and, uh, with, with the way everything's been kind of more globalized, uh, you can get a lot of, um, I don't really want to call them knockoffs because it isn't really, but there's a lot of, um, imitations or, uh, uh, alternate versions of things you can, you can buy that or emulate, they emulate the name brand expensive price tag but they do it in a way that doesn't have the expensive price tag so you're right. not like 100 percent sure what you're going to get but you know if they went if they studied what they're kind of like emulating you just know it's going to be it's going to be good it's going to be decent so right i'm a big fan of uh factory second red wing boots okay a lot of times they have like a a loose the stitching is tight but the the way that they blasted the leather, there's like a loose spot on it, so it's not perfectly shaped. Oh, which just okay. blends right out after you wear it. After you wear them and get them worn in, you yeah. can't tell. But there's like a weird, you know, there's like a loose spot or a tight spot. Okay. That'll shape back in as you uh, use them. You know, you can't even tell. Yeah. Those black red wings that I wear, you've seen me wear them. Yep. Those were seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I saved 130 bucks. Yeah. Buying seconds and you uh one of the boots had a loose part. It had a little bulge right where the last meets the uh welt at the bottom. Oh, okay. And it looked ugly until you until I broke them in. And then now you can't even tell. Yeah. So. Well, and even even to the untrained or uninitiated, I'm sure at the very beginning uh, unless you were looking really closely, you couldn't tell. Yeah, once they were on my feet, they were fine. But you're not going to charge 320 bucks for a pair of boots that aren't perfect. <laughs> you no, know? And, and not representative of, of the brand you want to convey. But that right. doesn't mean that they're any worse than... No, they're awesome. They're, you know, uh, the, uh, the flagship line or the non-second version right. you know it's if just if i had uh, an office job i'd wear those every day didn't quite sure. didn't quite meet the uh, quality control brand you know on point stuff so uh but i'm really excited because we get to talk about one of my favorite authors tonight today whenever you're listening um kurt vonnegut yes so we did the animal farm uh we both read that uh, we didn't call each other every night and read read each other chapters, but uh, we both read or consumed it because uh, Mike does a lot of audiobooks because he's in the car a lot. And uh, I've never really gotten into the audiobooks, so I always just read. And uh, we both read Animal Farm, and we talked about that on a previous episode. And we did a Kurt Vonnegut book, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, which is one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut books of all time. It's a very famous book. And uh, it's the first time that I've ever listened to it. I listened to it on audiobook twice. Yeah, and have you uh, have you had any exposure to Kurt Vonnegut uh, previously? No, no, I did not. Okay, and it, I, I've had uh, that makes me very excited. Post modernist literature, so uh, I understood the style and the content. Yes. But, uh, so 
that you know like ever boiling hippos and the beat novels and all that sort of thing okay and i would say um and i recently read for the first time uh white noise which i know okay. they're coming out with a i think a movie adaptation of that um and i can't and forgive me i can't remember the author right now i think it's something I'm not even going to guess, but uh, I read it and I was very impressed. And it's actually, if you've heard of the band, the Airborne Toxic Event, uh, that's the novel they take their band name from. Uh, but it's basically a pro professor who is an expert in Hitler, st Hitler studies. So that's all he teaches is Hitler. Um, not, not because he's pro-Hitler, but that's just his, he's, he's made, it's funny because he made like a huge name for himself in Hitler studies, but he doesn't speak German. And so part of the book is he's super nervous about having to go give this, uh, this keynote speech because he doesn't speak German and everybody's going to expect him to speak German because he's a Hitler studies professor. Right. So it's, uh, I think it fits in that same vein of postmodern. Um, right. right. Or very similar. Uh, it's to... by Don DeLillo. Never okay. heard of him. Yeah, uh, I would recommend that book. That one's that one's pretty fun uh, and disturbing. Um, kind of like most. Never of, read it, to be uh, honest with you. Well, yeah, and I I never read it until I think last year, because um, I've been trying okay. to branch out and read more, uh, read more books and read more things that are, I don't know, different. I guess uh, not Game of Thrones or Twilight. Or Harry Potter. It's eye-opening um, to read a lot of the postmodern novels by, like, that World War II veteran generation. Yeah. It's always yeah. like, those fuckers were dark. It's like, so you know, it's so anti what society tells you those people should be. Oh, sure. You know what I, I mean? mean? Or like what the media says, like, oh, the last great war. And um, to dive right into uh, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, I love, like, the, the prelude or the preface where he's talking about uh, he goes and, and talks to his war buddy and his wife, his war buddy's wife is like, you better not make this where people want to go and enlist. Um, right. You guys were all men and you were all heroes and it was yeah. glorious. And she's like, you were kids and you better not make this where more kids sign up to go fight. Right. So and I don't it definitely wanna... was not. It was yes. uh, definitely an anti-war novel. I want, I want you to talk first because I've read it before and I've got all my own, like, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, um, reading boner i guess uh sure but you having never read a kurt vonnegut book i'm so excited to hear your thoughts good or bad or both uh or indifferent so the first listen through i read it more literally than it was intended or i listened to it more literally than it was intended to be taken and i was like god damn this is dark you know and i focused a lot on his wife dying as he Yes. was in the hospital yes and like those like darker personal aspects and i kind of didn't focus a whole lot on the world war ii story like yeah the, what could be taken as flashbacks right quote unquote well he's uh, unstuck in time so he's uh, he's unstuck in time but uh i focus less on that and more on his like life story which yeah. did tie in it was patterned throughout and it was so depressing. Yeah. And then the second time through, I listened to it more of like a PTSD kind of uh, story 
where I was like, because I had already heard the story, I could focus more on the details. And yeah. there's a lot of details and a lot of the things uh, obviously get, got tied back and tied back and tied back. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. <laughs> and well, and, uh, and I, think... I definitely on second reading perceived it as a uh, attack on the U.S. government and their denial of PTSD and World War II soldiers because that was a theme over and over. Yeah. That I noticed on the second reading where it was like, oh, he was in the hospital for the psychiatric thing, but it was definitely wasn't the war. Just like at yeah. the end, it was like this brigadier general who had never seen the war, who just totally discounted him. Yes. Because he was saying something bad about the bombing of Dresden. Because it's totally yes. just war is wonderful. Yeah. You know? Well, and the counterpoint, I guess, not the counterpoint, but like another thing is that that brigadier general was was complaining because he had to rewrite his World War II history books because they just declassified the Dresden bombing. And now he had to include that in his book, right? Yes. He had to go back and rewrite it and include Dresden because if he didn't, then nobody was going to believe he was even part of the war because now it's been declassified. Right. And he said they, uh, a bunch of sissies or to that effect, uh, uh, effect would have been bothered about all the death that was caused in the Battle of Dresden, even though Dresden was known not to have any value in the war, which yeah. it did, I'm sure. But Well, yeah. And, and that's there's... what total war is, right? That's We're still complaining about the burning of Atlanta. So, Yeah. And uh, just for our to get our listeners up to speed, if you've never read Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, we've got spoiler alerts, um, yada, yada. But it's basically uh, Kurt Vonnegut lived through the bombing of Dresden, and uh, this is his novelization, kind of, uh, of that. And it's maybe less about the actual bombing of Dresden than it is about, like you said, you know, uh, just war in general and kind of the government's role in war, which is different than the people actually fighting the war's role in war. Sure. And I viewed, well... I guess, like I say, I read it, I listened to it once through, took it literally. The second time I started paying attention and it almost seemed like every time that he slipped between the two was a triggering event for like PTSD, like a PTSD trigger. And then it would flip and flip and flip. And it was always on a trigger point and a trigger point and trigger point. And it was very well done. Oh, man. I'm sure that you pick more up on it when you read it with your eyes instead of listening to it in a novel. Yeah, and and I did, uh, and Mike and I talked about this a little bit on, um, in between episodes, we'll say. But uh, Kurt Vonnegut does some really phenomenal, and we're not talking Vincent Van Gogh or Picasso, but he does some phenomenal hand illustrations in his books. Um, and like I said, there, you know, if you have like an elementary school kid, that's about the level of his drawings and no offense to Kurt. Um, and I think they're intentionally done that way, right? Because he does write about a lot of heavy subjects, uh, but he does so in kind of like a laugh out loud way. Um, and I told Mike this too, uh, my brother and I 
read almost everything Kurt has ever written. And we read it in high school and like early college. And we instantly, like after the first like book or two, um, this was still when you could go out in public, right? And you could read a book and nobody would look at you like you're like a mass murderer or something. Um, but this was before like internet was on your phone and, and all this stuff. But we, we made a rule that we can't read Kurt Vonnegut in public because you're reading about the firebombing of Dresden. And then he'll throw something in there and it's just the most absurd, funny thing ever. Like one of the lines in the book was, uh, uh, I think when uh, when Billy Pilgrim was at the zoo on uh, Trafalgar Moor, and they were like, and he goes, and Billy was was hung or something. Like he had like a massive cock or something. And it's like, what he the, had what? a massive like, what? wing. Yeah, massive wing. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. This is a book about the firebombing of Dresden. You have your, your protagonist in an alien zoo, stripped naked. He's got a massive wing and he's banging a movie star, you know? But then even the banging the movie star came back later and he, and Billy was like, oh, yeah, a lot of times I just had to do like domestic things for her. And she wanted like attention because she was raising our child. But we're in a zoo. So is it like it wasn't really like a child like humans really like on Earth, like, you you know, like it was it was disconnected somehow. Right. And you could like pick that up from the writing. So I don't know. I I really love Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, and his writing style. And it's, I laughed it's, at, the, at the beginning when he said, most of the things in this story are true. Well, at least yeah. some of the things. <laughs> well, this and this and this and this, I did see with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, okay, so we, we've already been prefaced. Like, yeah. Well, the, that's... Um... The parts of the war... A lot of it, like, is true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but like, that's, there is, uh... like, a very true story hidden in there. Yeah. And, uh, it, and, it, it, yeah. and one of my favorite things, and, uh, you know, I've read this book a lot cause it's one of my favorites of his. Uh, I love, I think every book I've read of his, I really enjoy. And I wish I could keep them all separate in my head, but it's all kind of like the mass of Kurt Vonnegut. Right. So like when I think about Kurt Vonnegut, I think of course of Slaughterhouse five, but I think of all of the other books of his that I've read and I can't remember which scenes are from which books because they all kind of blend together because. Sure. Um, no, I, I know, you know. I know exactly what you mean. Cause it's like Dune. Yes. Once you've read a lot of the Dune story. Yeah. It's, it's hard like, to pick which, out where. Yeah. Which book did this happen in? Yeah. I remember where, liking where it, this... but I don't know where it was. Yeah. Where can I, um, what can I say? <laughs> but I love, I love because in, in, uh, in Slaughterhouse five, it starts out the first whole chapter is him, just him. Kurt Vonnegut. He's writing about himself going and visiting a war buddy whose wife hates him and stuff. And then you're like, okay, I guess this is a preface. And then it's all Billy Pilgrim. And it's like, you know, you're three quarters of the way, uh, the way through. And then it's like, and somebody shit their brains out. And then Kurt goes, that was me. That was I, I was there. I shit my brains out in that boxcar or something, you know? And it's like, he throws himself back in there and you're like, oh, holy fuck. He told me he was in here at the beginning. More importantly than that, it was somebody said, I'm going <laughs> to shit my brains out. Yeah. Then that person said, oh, there they go. <laughs> right There they go. <laughs> that was me. That was I. <laughs> yeah. There they go. <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of stuff where it's like, but you're reading about the firebombing of Dresden, but you're not. I mean, you're, you're reading about human nature, really. 
I found uh, the uh, parts about World War II very intriguing, especially like the Englishman's speech was interesting. Oh, the, yeah. The American Nazi was super interesting. I thought the, that uh, his little diagnosis of America was like on the nose. Like all Americans are yeah. poor. They're trained yeah. to hate each other, especially yes. the other poor. And everything that he said was actually true. Like I've been yeah. in a bar with the small little American flag and the, the little picture on the wall that says, if you're so smart, why aren't you rich? I've been, yeah. I've been in those bars. Uh, it, it was you literally <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and I true. loved, I loved how, how the, the English, they were captured at like at the start of the war. Right. And they built up their, their POW camp and they were putting on stage plays, stage plays, and then yes. you get these Americans, and it's at the end of the war, and they've been fighting and 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 you know slugging through the trenches and and the mud and and you know and the death and the blood, and they get dragged into the POW camp after spending a week on this train, and they're watching like Cinderella by the English being put on on stage, like these very like, buff. Englishmen who have been working out for five years. Yeah, and improving their lives and reading and, and you know, like making the best of their time in the POW camp. But, like, you know, you read it and it's like you feel as disoriented as Billy Pilgrim did. You know, and he steals the the spray-painted silver boots. And that's what he wears the rest of the novel. You know, so he's always, like, wearing this goofy get-up, you know, because he just has to scrounge, but you're, you're watching like a stage play and they, they were able to acquire silver spray paint in their POW camp to put on this stage play. And, you know, and, uh, the, oh, it was the two, they were the two brothers, the snipers, right. That got killed yep. when Billy got, got picked up and, uh, like he just, he got fresh off of people dying like in front of his eyes. And now he's watching Cinderella on stage. Right, and he was already in shock, clearly. Well, yes, of course. Already in shock uh, by the time that he got picked up. And uh, very interesting. Yeah. I, I like that he kept on laying down and trying to die. And they kept on picking <laughs> him up and picking him up and picking him up. And then the God, two guys was... who were trying to keep him alive and the weird guy uh, who died in the train, which how, how was it Billy Pilgrim's fault that the weird guy died? Yeah, is that and that was the guy that was like, "We're the three musketeers," and then the other two like snipers were like, "We don't want no part of that. We right, don't want to yeah. be the three musketeers." How was it Billy's fault that that guy died on the train, though? I just don't. It's get not. It. No, but it doesn't matter. I, yeah, it's you know? weird. I mean, that's kind of the point. Yeah, it had not like I the second time through, I I tried to find the point at which he fucked with this guy. But it just never came about. He was just blamed for his death for no reason. Oh, yeah. He just, I like, <laughs> the only reason this other guy, I think his name was what, Ronald? Something like that. He was um, a plumber. He was the son of a plumber who was really into uh, weird shit, executions. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, but the only, I think the only reason that Billy was ever blamed was because Billy was the exact opposite personality of this guy. Right. And so this guy took Billy's wanting to die. And not wanting to fight the war anymore as like a personal affront 
And I think that's the only sure. reason because like Billy was like, do you guys go on without me? Just leave me. I'll just die here in the ditch. I'm happy. Like, leave me alone. And this guy would go back and like punch Billy in the face and like get him up and moving again. You know, so like he kind of made it his own like personal vendetta to keep Billy alive, which he hated. But the only reason he did it was because he hated Billy so much that he didn't want Billy to like be able to die and fulfill his destiny or whatever, because it was so against this other guy's perspective. Right. And I really like the cast of characters, you know, the hobo. Which oh, I identify God. with the hobo. I've had it worse. I've had it worse. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Until he died. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, I'll meet you in Cody, Wyoming. You know, Wild Bill. <laughs> yeah. Talk to Wild Bill. If you're ever in Cody, Wyoming, find Wild Bill. Yeah. Cody's a huge fucking place, by the way. <laughs> oh, I know that. I know. I've, I've been there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like such a ridiculous statement. I, I, I looked for Wild over Bill. The heads but, of uh, readers who don't live in like. Who've never been there. It's like a huge. <laughs> yeah. Or who, who don't live or have come from bumfuck nowhere. Yeah. There's a thousand um, wild bills in Cody, Wyoming, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah there has to be. <laughs> there has to be. All right. I mean, so uh quick pause. I'm done with this cigar. What? I'm only halfway through. Holy shit, dude. What um, the hell? I don't know. Maybe mine's looser than yours. That's what she said. Um, Must be. Mine's, mine's actually tasting great, too. Dude, I'm I really like this one. It. This one's really good. And maybe that's why I've been smoking it so much. Yeah, uh, it's light. And, it's lighter than, I mean, it's a Connecticut. So it yeah. is a little lighter. Yeah. Um, which maybe, maybe I'm starting to really like the Connecticut's, I guess. I think, I think they've got a really good place. Um, what was the one that we smoked that was a Connecticut, but then it got like so dark at the end that we were both like buzzing? Uh, was that the edge? No, that wasn't the edge. That one that was, was the Perdomo uh, champagne. That one, but it was, was the big one. Great. Yeah, it was a uh, like a super toro. Yeah, it was not like a robusto. It yeah. was a super toro. It was. Big. I liked that one a lot. And that was the tenth anniversary special edition. Blah 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 blah. That was a a pretty expensive stick. Okay, that one was so good. Yep. I think um, I only got two of those. Because it was that one, I think even I think I paid twelve dollars for it. Okay. So at a store to be eighteen bucks. Easy, bucks. yeah, yeah. It was a good um, stick, though. That was really good. This one's really good. I like this one a lot. How much do you have left? You're only halfway through. I have uh, over two inches left, if you can believe it. I absolutely cannot. But yeah, uh, I don't but, know how you the know, hell you puff that down. The truth is the truth, I guess. Well, yeah. you were doing a little more talking. That's um, true. Yeah, we're we're we're. Uh, vamping a lot we're not doing like the synopsis of the story it's no. difficult to do a synopsis of this story you can't it's billy's on a second time you can't really like summarize the story other than you know the firebombing of dresden plays a part uh aliens play a part uh ptsd and just general well, like life so the layout of the story the world war ii part is in order but then it cuts yeah. So the beginning and the end of the novel are actually the same setting, and the middle is jumbled up. So it starts and ends in the same place, and the narrator actually takes over for the last page or so. Yeah. Uh, and then the World War II story goes throughout, which is horrific. Yes. Uh, I actually learned, I did not know that they made, I mean, I don't even know if it's true. I did look up the it bombing is of true. Tristan. He made up the number. 
there was not, according to the government, 135,000 people that died. That was thrown out, but they think it's more like 30, 40,000 people died. Okay. Which is horrific, but less so. Well, know, with I those, guess. And with those stats too, though, I don't know that they always count the full civilian count. Right. You know, um, and the government has maybe because our government did it. So they have a vested interest in making that number less uh, yes, in, they do. In, in retrospect. So I don't know. I mean, it's probably somewhere between the two numbers is what I would say. Probably. Um, just, you know, trying to look at it logically, I suppose. Um, but, you know, what's interesting is all the times I've read it, and even this last time I read it, I never even considered uh, PTSD. Um, really? So that's like, that's a great insight because it totally does make sense. Um, oh, my grandfather had real bad PTSD. Okay. And, uh, but that's why like, I enjoy it. Like, the, it fits the, the premise, right? Yeah. Oh, that's why I like reading books with other people. Um, because everybody's got a little bit different take on everything, you know? Um, so it really kind of opens up. Well, you never noticed the anti-government talk with, oh, this has nothing to do with the war. That was repeated multiple times. Oh, no. I picked up the anti-government. Yeah. Which is, I never this really has liked, nothing to do with I never, the war. This I has never, nothing to do with the war. <laughs> yeah. I, I, never, I never ascribed it. You know, I never ascribed, like, the PTSD uh, lens or filter. You know, you know what I mean? Like A lot like, of the postmodern, like, the beat generation, those yeah. guys all wrote about it before the government admitted it. It was true. Yeah. But, you, you know, know I mean? but there's, but there's an awful lot that's going on in the book, even though it's a short book and it's written very accessibly, you know, like he doesn't. Oh yeah. There's nothing know, complicated to, I mean, but, but there's a lot going on, you know? Yeah. And, um, but that's why I like it so much. And, and one of my favorite things about Kurt Vonnegut is he takes almost like every day feelings um and i suppose whether they're ptsd or not but you know like when he talks about uh billy marrying the wife that he married you know and then becoming a successful optometrist because his wife's dad ran a successful optometry business you know he ran the school and he never and he never really even like liked his wife but he was like he you know uh, kurt made a point that Billy bought this super expensive, like $800 ring to give to uh, his wife at this party. But then do you remember when Billy got like so shook up by the barbershop quartet that sang by a song? Fabs. By the fans. Yes. Yes. And um, like he got so shook up that he couldn't even like give her the ring in the manner he intended. And like, and then... And then now that you say PTSD, I'm like, oh my, that makes sense. Like, that's exactly what that was. Um, Did you also pick up on Billy treated his wife so well, there was another woman at the party that was jealous and started talking shit about how his wife already had all the jewelry Yes. in town. Yes. <laughs> so even though he was not super impressed with his wife, he still treated her very, very well. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. Um, and then, and then it got even weirder because, like, there's so much with Billy's character 
to kind of like delve into, but like he didn't want to be at the war in the war and he wanted to die. But then he came back from the war and he married this woman. He didn't really want to marry, but he did. And then he treated her, uh, great, you know, like, like you should, you know, right. Like, yeah, yeah she like got the should. diamond that he found in the coat. Yep. And, and uh, um, and there's never any, any, uh, instances of him ever behaving poorly towards her. Uh, other than cheating on her once. In the zoo. No, no. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but he was drunk, so it's okay, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he was shamed and he couldn't find the steering wheel. Yes. And he was in the back seat. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and that, and that, like, and I feel almost like that generation was like you most, I don't know if most, but like, I feel like a lot of them had mistresses. Like that was just kind of like the culture at the time. But I think by and large, he treated her very well. And uh, only us, the readers, knew that he didn't wasn't super thrilled about the whole thing. She was as big as a house. Yes, but and he she kept never... on eating candy. Yeah, That's, but... I, that I, that was constant too. <laughs> eating yeah. candy. Yeah, but only to us, the reader, like that wasn't something that he went about town saying. I don't think you know, like you never got that feeling that he was vindictive in any way. Uh, no, about, and about, I also got the anything. feeling that his son, the Green Beret, died too, even though it wasn't explicitly said. Yeah. There's a line where it was like, oh, yeah, back when uh, he was still alive or something. Yes, you know, like, back um, when he was still alive. Um, but I think, you know, like Kurt takes a lot of these very complex emotions and kind of like packages them up in a little like humorous anecdote. You know, like the the aliens, the uh, Trafalgar Morians or uh, uh, Trafalgar, I don't know how to pronounce it, but. Have you uh, lit your second cigar, Nate? Not yet. I'm waiting for you. Well, you should light it, and if I'm if I fall behind, I mean, I have. Oh, I got a good inch left before I'm going to put this one out. So, oh, I'll wait. I'll wait for you. Okay. We should we well, should light at the same time so we can give initial thoughts. Well, thanks. Uh, um, this is starting to get a little sour on me. Yeah, uh, in the last I, uh, uh, two inches here, I put it's it out. To get sour. I put it out at an inch, so. It uh, it was I'm good also up smoking and, up. it faster than I otherwise would. Yes, well, there's uh, there's really no rush, but you know, mine got a little sour at the last inch and a half, and I I gave it the last half inch, and then it kind of sure. poured out. So, mine's um, woody and light and a little nutty. It's yeah. very pleasant. I got more uh, nut. I got more nutty at the beginning, and it kind of gets in, into more of that um, woodiness later. But it's right. good. I like I like both flavors. Even right now, I'm getting like walnut, sort yeah. of more like an acorn. If yeah. anybody's ever ate acorn, acorns. And uh, now it's more like a darker walnut. Very nice. Mm-hmm. It's changed. It's a, like I say, it's a good smoke. Yeah. A lot right. of these, especially if you get a branded second, it seems like it's a good cigar. It's probably not something you're going to give to your uncle at a party because it doesn't have a band on it. But if you well, did, it'd be Depending good. on how much you like your uncle uh, and how right. into appearances he is. But I think if you gave this to somebody, I think they would like it. Like, even your uncle would like it. They might, like, turn their nose up, like, oh, it doesn't have a band on it. But Right. Well, off. I mentioned last episode that I smoked a uh, Edge at a party. 
Yeah. And the reason why I did is I was going to go to this party and I knew that Sarah's uncle was going to be there and he smoked cigars. And he gave me a punch. He gave me a pretty good cigar too in return. Okay. But uh, when we lit it up, I was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I actually like the Fuma of this cigar a lot better because yeah. I got a box of the Fumas and I got a box of the Edges. And the Fumas are way better. <laughs> And he's like, oh, man, I, I need to try one of those now. Oh, like, okay. I should have brought two of them. <laughs> but because I, I, I do think the Fumas are better. Just smoke. Yeah, me too. So, Nate, you want to take us down? It's, this is not a novel where we can start at the beginning and end at the end because it gets jumped so far. Yeah, it's really you know, not. Billy's life gets cut up. The beginning and the end of his life are the same same place where his wife is dead and now he's at home in a house that doesn't have any heat and his daughter is treating him like a child yes who's apparently very attractive even though she's also eating a mars bar hinting that she's gonna blow up as big as a house as well yes but she doesn't have the same personality that the mother had because apparently I, i never felt like um billy's wife was uh mean or Overly commandeering or uh, no, she seemed like a very nice. You know, nice she seemed woman. like a very nice woman, and I think the daughter. I don't know where she got the personality from, but she didn't inherit the personality from either of her parents. Um, so that's probably her own doing. But the daughter definitely did seem a little more like up and up in their business and wanted to take charge of uh, Billy's life, uh, especially post accident. Yes. And, um, you know, you can. That made and, me really depressed, too. Yeah. That was so depressing. And you can, I mean, you can look at this novel and you can look at it in a lot of different ways. You know, you can read it as a very lighthearted alien slash anti war novel and not dig too deep on anything and say, okay, well, there really were the aliens and they really did take him to the zoo and he really did, you know, uh, uh, make love in public to the, the movie star and, and raise a child there. And, and their perspective on life is that everybody's always alive all the time. Uh, just choose. It just depends on when you choose to remember them, you know, like, which is a nice thought. Uh, and maybe it's true. I'm not a fourth dimensional or fifth dimensional interstellar being. Um, so I don't know for sure, but, you know, and then you can also read it in a way where it's like this is just a, a, a man, Kurt, trying to deal with the atrocities of war, um, which is basically just war. You know, you don't have to go kill and rape and pillage to have war be an atrocity. Um, sure. And, and maybe it's just his way of, of trying to deal with it and, and to rationalize the people that have died in the war that either he directly caused or just indirectly witnessed, you know, and Hey, they were alive five minutes ago. So if I remember them five minutes ago, they're still alive. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of different levels or layers that you can kind of read into this book. And it's really kind of a terrible topic. Well, I remember my grandfather talking extensively about how to blow up German, American and French tanks. Okay. He fought on the uh, Western Front. Okay. And he, knew, he was a tanker. 
he uh, drove tanks. He was six feet tall, which was too tall to be a tanker, but he joined yeah. up in California and he got put into a tank division, uh, being a graduate of the eighth grade. But uh, he knew everything about how to blow up other tanks and his own tank and how to avoid getting hit. And he would talk a lot about it, but he never yeah, okay. talked about killing people. Ever. Yeah, and so my grandpa was a merchant marine uh, on Navy ships. And he was there at Normandy, and he was there offshore of Okinawa. And Sure. Um, the only time he ever talked about anything war-related was once. And it was, he was, I don't know, a couple of years from death at the time, you know, so he was older and we were all older, you know, the grandkids, uh, it was just me and my, my two younger brothers there. And, uh, he got fairly drunk at dinner, not, you know, like an appropriate level of drunkenness, you know what I mean? Like somebody gets drunk and they're chatty um not like the drunken i'm gonna i don't know smash this plate and be angry but um you know he was always very very reserved and he would tell us stories about the war but he'd only tell us about uh, uh like a dog that they found and they kind of adopted and this monkey uh that he adopted and then had to give to some other sailor um you know because he was done with his tour or something um, but the only time he ever talked about like war stuff, you know, like more war stuff was that one night when he got, got a little too drunk at dinner and, um, it's just, it's different. You know, it's not something you go, you don't go to war for fame and glory, you know, or if you do, you find out real quick that that's not why anybody's there. Um, I think, you know. Sure. So it's kind of, it's one of those uh, book topics where you're not going to go into it thinking it's, I mean, I don't know. It's like it's a super heavy topic. And, and for, for Kurt Vonnegut to, to be able to write a book about it and to make me laugh out loud. Like, and I, so like I read every night before bed. And, uh, and so Sarah's always, you know, just laying there and, and doing her own stuff. And uh, I just started laughing and she goes, what are you reading now? And so I showed her the line where Kurt was talking about this other woman. And she's like, um, I can't remember what the, what the, like the full insult was, but it was like, she was a, like, I don't know, a, a titty fl flubicus or something. Like it was some, some like s super silly made up word, but like just his timing with where that came was hilarious, you know, and it, and it made me laugh like literally out loud. And I know, you know, the current generation is like, oh, I laughed out loud and it doesn't mean that they laughed and they say literally a lot, but like, honest to God, I laughed out loud, uh, probably three, three or four times in the reading of the book about the firebombing of Dresden of all things to be laughing about. But, uh, it wasn't actually the firebombing I was laughing about, but I think just you know, for Kurt to be able to write a book about that kind of a topic and it's, well, that's a, that's like a theme in war is that there are funny moments and they're funnier because you're doing horrible things. Yes. So 
that's uh, the way I feel about my experience in the oil field in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, uh, and that was uh, one of my, one of my biggest praises of Kurt Vonnegut is he can take a lot of these very serious topics and emotions and feelings that are almost universal to uh, humanity and he can make them funny at least in the extent where you know it's not like a Saturday Night Live like you know I'm going to roll on the floor laughing but like funny in a way where it's like it's funny because I relate to it or he made me relate to this or sure you know so I think uh, are you lighting up your second one I just finished my second one. I'm going to open my, uh, my second beer here as well. Uh, you mean you finished your first one? Oh, yes. I finished my second uh, yeah, my first one. Uh, la, 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 la. Word salad out of my mouth. Ha, ha, yeah. Ha. So we're going. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I finished it, or I was about an inch and a quarter away from the end, and it started to get real sour. Yeah. I was like, mm, it's done now. It's done. It was good, though. Yeah, it was uh, good. I liked it. That's the uh, great part about the a Rothschild cigar. They are good uh, until the end. And then it's like, yeah, awesome. Yep. So now this, this next one's darker. Yes, this is a Maduro wrapper. Same shape, same exact size, same company. I believe that, uh, you know, I did not look it up. I like the mystery. What Usually when these uh, companies come out with a line, they'll do a uh, a Maduro in a Connecticut. So I happen to be there at the right time to get the seconds. And they're good. That's definitely not something I need to put tequila on to make it taste good. So, no, that was, uh, that was a good smoke. From what I remember, which I've smoked both of these before, I do have an opinion, and I will let you know after we smoke it. Okay. So I've got this one going. Trying to... Uh gauge any tastes that I'm getting from it. I think I'm getting just the the plain, like, uh, I don't know if you'd call it the stereotypical Maduro taste. Mine's sweet and dark. Uh, and harder. This one's much harder. Uh, mine are stored in the same humidor. Yeah, mine were too. Right next to each other. Uh, this one does feel tighter packed, I, I guess. This one's definitely tighter packed than the other one. The, this uh, is too. This is too tight. Yeah. the The other one, the airflow, and maybe it was too much airflow, and that's why I smoked it so fast. But uh, th I mean, the the draw through this one is fine. Like it's what I would expect. Maybe yeah, the draw is great, and the, the taste is actually good too. I get maybe a little fruit. Okay. Like a little like it's sweet and like not tangy but fruity. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, we'll see as it progresses uh, along the way. Yes. Um, so, my grandfather was not so free. I, I don't know any of the battles he went in. He didn't even tell us the uh, tank battalion or anything like that he was in. I found okay. all that stuff out later in life. Uh, as When he died, he left a whole box of medals and yeah. patches and all these things he got. And then we could backtrace... You can backtrace based on where he was, and he fought the whole way across Europe. You know, he was there yeah. until 1945. 
you, know, you joined in 1941 or 1942 on like January 1st or something, <laughs> like right away. Yeah. <laughs> he was there the whole time. Well, I like so. uh, in the book when Dresden gets firebombed and then later they go back to get their trophies of war. Yes. And then they get accosted or Billy gets accosted by that couple because the horses were bleeding and stuff. But uh, the trophies of war, I don't know if it's really like a thing, but I know it's a thing because I have my grandfather's trophies of war Oh, in, in my basement. Really? Yes. And so I think that everybody probably did it, but I don't think it was a, a conscience a conscious thing. My where... grandfather had no trophies of war as far as I know. Okay. His trophy was that on one of his uh breaks he went on a blind date with my grandmother and came back and married her. <laughs> yep. That's what my grandpa did. That's yeah. what my grandpa did. She was a um, World War II nurse, and on a blind date they met, and then they married after it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so my, uh, I told you my grandfather was stationed off of Normandy, and he was part of the shelling because he was merchant marine, so he ran all the guns on the Navy ships. Mm -hmm. uh, well, he didn't run all the guns, but like that's what the merchant marines did. They ran the guns on the ships. And... Uh, after they had won Normandy, they all got to go ashore. And so he picked up a bunch of stuff. And uh, one of the things he picked up was a German rifle. And he was walking back onto the ship on the gangplank. And the commanding officer ordered him to turn over the rifle to the commanding officer, right? Um, and my grandpa was like, there's no way I was given that asshole the rifle I picked up from the battlefield. So I threw it in the ocean, <laughs> like rather than give it to the commanding officer, he threw it in the ocean. Um, but he did bring back an American helmet and a Nazi helmet. So I have both of those. Uh, oh, cool. In my basement. Um, I can't believe I haven't shown you the helmets. Why aren't they on your wall? That's what I want to know. Uh, Cause it's not socially acceptable to hang a Nazi helmet anywhere. Really? Yeah, it is. I got my battle helmet on the wall. You've seen it, haven't you? Uh, no. Yeah, I got my old hard hat on the wall. Oh, your down hard hat. The uh, uh, little uh, game room area down there. Oh, I You've get distracted by the Star Trek posters. Yeah, so oh, I yeah. always see well, the Star they're, Trek they're, posters. They're, they're posters in uh, frames, just so everybody knows. My my house does not have posters on the wall without frames, <laughs> but. I don't, I, we don't, we not, don't either. Not, not, not that I have a, a woman living in the house. Well, and I put, I started putting mine in frames because they were starting to get ratty, you know, because moving apartments and stuff. So I just put them in frames and it's easier. Sure. But uh, I got a lot of movie posters that aren't up. We'll just put it that way. Um, I'm putting a lot of my posters on the uh, ceiling of my workroom. Okay. My little, uh, well, the freezer room. So. Yeah. Yep. That's where Tila Tequila goes. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So, I don't have any cool war stuff. My grandfather 
I don't know. Like I say, he never told his shit about. Yeah. He didn't want to talk about it. And my no. dad was in seven conflicts. Okay. And he doesn't really want to talk a whole lot about it either. He was always logistics though. So he doesn't have like super duper war fancy stories. It's like, you know, we smoked two cartons of cigarettes a day and put together radios. And I was like, two cartons of cigarettes? He's like, yes, two cartons of cigarettes every <laughs> single day. I'm like, why the fuck is that? He's like, well, we were always under uh, bombing, you know? Yep, yep. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I can see how you can smoke two cartons of cigarettes a day when the cigarettes are free and you're getting bombed. Yeah. <laughs> so, my dad did have a friend that was in the... Uh, uh, air up in Saigon. Okay. And uh, he didn't want to talk about it either. <laughs> like nobody that I knew who was in these wars wanted to talk about it. Yeah. I, you know, and the only reason that we probably ever got anything out of my grandpa is because as kids, you're curious. So you ask, but he would never tell other, other than some of the, like the, you know, the lighter stories where they found this dog or they, you know, he had a monkey as a pet for a little bit. Um, from one of the Pacific islands or wherever. And, um, and the only reason we heard the other story is because he was actually, um, I don't know if he was, I don't think he was dishonorably discharged, but he had a a mark on his record. Um, and he was, I guess, reminiscing about that when he, when he had a couple too many beers or drinks that, that one night, um, because his, his friend, wanted to see his discharge papers and his friend noticed that on his discharge papers that he had a, a strike or I don't know what you call it. And so he told us the whole story uh, and it was pretty wild, but uh, it didn't have a whole lot to do with actual like fighting and killing, you know, it was, it wasn't about that. It was about just, you know, people, I guess. Um, and not, uh, not turning in your friend sure. or doing something not, not anti-American or anti-war, but like just doing something stupid, you know? Um, and so that's what he got in trouble for, for not bringing that immediately to the superior officer. Right. Nothing to do I with that. I know that my grandfather entered in as a 16 year old private and exited a mid-level sergeant. My okay. father told me that meant that that meant that he uh, he must have killed a lot of people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what my grandpa exited as, but I know he started or he enlisted at sixteen, and he had to have his uh, parents sign off. Sure. My uh, my uh, great aunt signed off for my grandfather, and actually okay. fucked with his uh, retirement and everything too, because he had the illegal birth date and the real birth date. Okay. And the government tried to fight him on it a couple of times. Uh, when he was receiving benefits as a 80 year old guy, 70 year old guy, you know? Yeah. So, which is always fascinating. U S yeah. government is always so great to their veterans. That is what I've heard. Yeah. So, <laughs> Uh, any other thoughts about uh, Slaughterhouse Five? Well, we're only 
I, I, I'm not even halfway through the cigar. I never so, said you were, man. Okay. I just thought, you know. Um, it, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this uh, real quick is no matter how many times I read that book, every time he says uh, Billy's story starts with this and ends with Potuit, I always flip to the back page because it's just satisfying because it does end that way. Yes. Well, it's used as a device when shit gets so ridiculous that there's nothing else to say. Yeah. Every time there's a bird or a dog bark or it's like it's above and beyond what can be talked about, really. Yep. Did you uh, pick up on the so it goes? Yes. Every, Every time, time any, somebody dies anything, or mentions of death. Anything dies. Yes. So it goes. So it goes. And there's a lot of so it goes. A lot of death. It is a World War II story. <laughs> uh, oh, I wanted to talk about Kilgore Trout. Yes, I hated Kilgore Trout. Kilgore Trout makes an appearance in a lot of Kurt Vonnegut's books. Yes. And Kurt Vonnegut makes a lot of appearances in Kurt Vonnegut books. Um, but only peripherally, right? Like, so when Kurt Vonnegut made appearances in Slaughterhouse-Five, he wasn't stealing any show, you know? It was just, uh, I was there, you know? Um, and some of the other books, you know, it's like, and I was sitting there at the same bar or something, you know? Like, he's always just kind of, like, there. Um, but Kilgore Trout isn't a lot of different things, but why do you dislike Kilgore? He was an unpleasant person. Uh, you know, he spit, uh, fish flakes on, uh, the woman's titties and he would have followed Billy up to the bathroom when he was having a panic attack, Yeah, which is what he was having. Right. Well, yeah, he he had a panic attack and went up, went upstairs and. Billy had to tell him to stay downstairs. Yeah. So he's freaking out. <laughs> I just didn't like his, he was like just over the top. You know? Yeah. Didn't care for that. Not subtle. I'm uh, not subtle like a Minnesotan. No. And then it was funny. He was, uh, he got the attention of that one woman at the party and was telling her all about this book that he hadn't even written yet. Oh, yeah, he was telling her straight lies, and she was yeah. believing it. And... Yep. Yeah. I Interesting love... character in a novel, but oh, there's yeah. too many people that are really like that. I love the bit when Billy goes to the sex shop, right? But the only reason he goes to the sex shop is because they have Kilgore Trout novels in the window dressing. Yes. Remember? And, and they're like, hey, hey, all the stuff you want is in the back. And he goes, no, I just want the Kilgore Trout novel. I haven't read this one yet. And he gets into this whole, like, it's a whole thing. Like, he gets into this whole almost, like, altercation with the smut shop owners because he was convinced he hadn't read this Kilgore Trout novel yet, and he bought it and brings it home, and he's like, oh, I had read that one. <laughs> he definitely saw a picture of a donkey fucking a woman uh, in front of a curtain with uh, Doric columns on yes. the sides. And, a and it was the same he one. Had seen it, yeah. It was the same one from his war buddy. Remember? I think Kurt Vonnegut had to have seen it. Yeah, no, yeah. It was oh, yeah, yeah, The yeah. same but one I mean, from like, the war buddy, yeah. yeah I never looked up to see if it was real. But they showed Billy that in the smut shop, and that was the same one that his war buddy showed him. It was the same I did, photo. I did, I did follow that. Second time reading through, of course. Or oh, yeah. listening. 
Yes. I'm listening. I'm not reading. Uh, which does make a huge difference, of course. But yeah, it's like I said, there's layers and layers. I had to, I wanted to listen to it to a third time because uh, I bet I would pick up on more, more layers. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a literature class in college where they have you read it through once. And you take your notes and you read it through it twice and you take your notes. You read it through three times and you take your notes. Yeah. And you pick up on different layers of the story every single time you read it. Because you've already know you already know the base layer yep. before you go through the second time and the third time. Oh yeah. I would say rather than you know, and I'm not gonna dissuade you from listening to it a third time, but I would say go for something else by Kurt. Go for like Cat's Cradle or something. Um, Every time I hear Cat's Cradle, I think of like the uh, song. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like read or, read or listen to just anything other by Kurt Vonnegut than Slaughterhouse-Five. And I think by exposing yourself to more Kurt Vonnegut novels, you will get a better understanding of Kurt Vonnegut or of, you know, his style. And then after you've listened to one or two others by him, then go back and listen to uh, Slaughterhouse Five again. Sure. You know, because, you know, there, I mean, there's a reason that Slaughterhouse Five is maybe his most well known novel or, you know, the one that most people think of when they think of Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, it's a great novel, but I think if that's the only Kurt Vonnegut book you read or are exposed to, there's so much more uh, to Kurt Vonnegut in a lot of his other stories. And he's got, uh, and like I said at the beginning, like I wish I could remember which books all of these things are from, but there's uh, one whole book that's based on uh, Bokanism. Okay. And... Um, it's a made-up religion that he made where uh, the people who started the religion had no families and they decided that everybody is their family. And that's kind of like, you know, I mean, it's very, very service level, but that's like, that's their whole thing. It's like, everybody's my family. And so you, you've got all these different, like, you know, religious ceremonies and things, but it's all to do with uh, everybody's my family and, and I can make my own family kind of thing. And then he's got one where it's the church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, the missing. So they don't believe that Jesus Christ was crucified and died. Uh, they just believe that he got lost. And so they're looking under, uh, under dinner plates, behind curtains. Uh, they're always looking for Jesus. Which is, I think know, I would like to, I, I think I'd like that one. Or yeah. at least test it out, you know. And then um, there's one all about Ice Nine. And this is like the world's most dangerous compound. It turns everything to ice, like everything, every living, every living thing. And the whole like novel revolves around like the threat of this ice nine being released. Um, but it's told in Kurt Vonnegut style. So, I mean, everything's like hilarious and sad. Like you don't know if you should be laughing or crying. Um, but I think if you, you know, and, and this is for anybody who's never been exposed to Kurt Vonnegut is, you know, read one of his books, read it twice. But before you read it a third time, read some of his other stuff and get like a feel for 
I don't know, his worldview, maybe. I mean, maybe that's what it is, you know. Um, but he's one of those ones where if you enjoy one of his books, you're going to enjoy the rest of them. Right. It's like, uh, it's like uh, George Orwell. Yeah, similar theme. For sure. Very Not different, as, uh, very different settings, but very similar yeah. ideals he's striving for, I guess. Yes. Similar vein, similar but different. Yeah. I am halfway through my cigar. And yes. it's good. It's still me, fruity. Me as well. Yeah. Uh I don't know. I, I'm Dark. trying to decide if I like this one better uh than the other one. It's very good. Different, but it's good. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit different, but uh I think we I think we like that, you know. This one is definitely darker, oh, but it's yeah. got layers of flavor. And, it does. Uh, it's not peppery and it's not spicy. Uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah. It's uh, just kind of sweet and fruity, but dark. Yep. It's got that like undertone. Yes. Which, uh, again, one of the themes of our show here is uh, a lot of times if you can get a cheaper cigar that's good, they are typically very good. And this is very good. Yeah, this one is very good. Um, and I think that's true. You know, like uh, we talked about it last episode where we're not smoking the top of the line stuff. The most expensive things, you know. No. Um, we're trying a lot. A lot of different, a lot of different things, and we like to sometimes take a gamble on something that could either be great or terrible. Right, and this is low tier. Yeah, uh, one of the cheaper cigars we've ever smoked for sure. Yeah, I think I got these for two, maybe three dollars a piece. Okay, that's even cheaper than the the Ben Maduros we smoked. Yes, it is a lot cheaper. Half the size as well, but yeah. But this one has the flavor, whereas the Ben Maduro, it was like the—I don't want to say it was like the blandest thing that I've ever smoked, but it was pretty bland. I would never smoke them without a topping, without, without tequila. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, with tequila, it's fine. And we yes. smoked two of them, and both of them were good with tequila. Oh, yeah. So. Well, we smoked three of them apiece. Yeah. One without and two One with. without and two with. <laughs> uh, so th there's your uh, testimonial for tequila right. cigars. And one with vodka, and the vodka was not, not the ticket. No, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. As tempted as you might be to do that, uh, we can't recommend that. There's something about the tequila. Um, it's got that spice to it, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. That really raises the profile. Yes. It brings, it enhances uh, the flavors, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, it kind of blends well. I want to try a Connecticut tequila cigar. We could try something. We had to find... Uh, a cheap one that was a Connecticut. Yeah, like don't they do Connecticut bin cigars? I'm sure. 
Yeah, they can't, they can't just do Maduro's, can they? No, they don't. I mean, obviously, they're going to have Connecticut's. They're not as common because the Maduro's are more popular overall. Okay. Makes sense. Well, I'm I'm excited that you liked Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, like I say, upon second listening, it was more interesting uh, because I knew the the baseline of where it was going to go. Yeah, you weren't so focused on what's going to happen next. Right, you could like you know read a little more into everything. See, and I even thought that maybe the whole Trafalgador journey was based on his like i did agree that it was like the drug-addled mind of a person who was in a horrible crash who had ptsd yeah like i could see that being the underlying cause let's put it that way yeah with flashbacks he was clearly i mean like you say it's like flashback 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 it depends on how you want to look at it yeah, but they also he also did like flash forwards. Yeah, you know, oh yeah. In the very beginning of the book, too. And um you know, so it's very interesting and I guess it's kind of like up to your up to your interpretation as the reader or listener. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but at the beginning he never said, "Oh, it'll be fine." It's only to the middle of the book where he started to get this attitude of like, "I've already seen what's happening. It'll be great." Yeah. Until the very end where he was totally confident. <laughs> yes. That it'll be fine. <laughs> yep. So it's interesting. Not uh, a page turner in the same way that uh, Game of Thrones would be, I guess. Which I've never actually read or even watched a show of Game of Thrones, but I've heard it's good. Well... So I've read the first three books and then I quit because I mm. couldn't stand it anymore. Um, I, I will say this. The first book was great, but I don't like George R.R. R. Martin's writing style. Okay. And I actually looked up why. Um, and it's because that he I don't I don't remember what the term is but what he does is he creates the characters and then the characters basically have to live out their story so he doesn't really know how things are going to end right so he creates all these characters and puts them together and then he writes it true to how those characters would actually behave in those circumstances, which on paper sounds great. But when you get into even the second book and he's killing everybody, like everybody fucking dies. And then by the third book, all the people that he introduced in the second book are all dead. And then it's like, well, none of the characters that I like are still alive. And now you're introducing even more characters in the third book. And I just, I don't have the energy to learn all of these new characters three or four books in. And I know you're going to kill these ones too. So 
what am I invested in? I don't really care about the land that you've created. Like I don't, I don't care who ends up being the ultimate ruler of this shit pile that you've created. Um, and some people like that and that's fine, you know, but there's not like one, I mean, there's a couple characters that live throughout, but they're like minor characters and they like disappear. And then you're like invested in other characters. And then like two books later, they kind of come back and you're like, well, and then other characters disappear for a long time. And, um, and what I read was that there was actually supposed to be like a five-year gap. Like we're talking five years, a five-year gap between two of the books. And the reason there's so many books is because George R. R. Martin couldn't jump five years ahead in the lives of these characters without actually writing their five-year life story. Because he couldn't really? foresee that. Because he only wrote the characters. And so it gets kind of monotonous and, and like everybody fucking dies. So it's not like Lord of the Rings, you know? And when I read the first book, I'm like, oh my God, this is like Lord of the Rings for like adults because there's like killing and there's like sex and there's intrigue and, you know, like there's all this stuff. But then it's like everybody, everybody's dying all the time and you get all these new characters. So you're not really following one character throughout. There's not like one protagonist. And... I think if he had a different writing style, you could do that same thing and you could kill a lot of people and you could like get your reader off balance. Is this guy the really the bad guy or is this guy the good guy or is this, but it takes so long because he's only writing the characters. He's not, he doesn't really have an end in sight. He doesn't know how it ends yet because he hasn't written it. And, and that's why the TV show, the last couple of seasons were so bad because they went beyond the books and the writers looked at the end of what the viewer wanted. And then they backtracked to make that happen for the viewer. So it felt contrived because it was, and it was completely against George RR's writing style. Sure. So it felt disingenuous to his style of writing, which will pull you right out of the world. And that's why the last couple seasons were bad is what I read. And I haven't watched it, but I don't, I don't care because I can't like, there's just, it's too much. It's almost like trying to watch a modern uh, Marvel movie because you have to watch all of the other stuff now. Like before I liked Marvel movies because you could get into it at any point and it didn't matter. But now they did the big Thanos thing, right? And they wiped out half the planet and they came back like five years later, but they didn't age. And so now every, every Marvel movie has to like reference that incident within the timeline. And so you have to kind of like, you're always kind of like reminded that there's 20 other movies leading up to this one movie. So they kind of shifted from where all their movies were accessible to anybody. And now they're only accessible to those people that are watching every single Marvel movie. Yeah. I stopped watching superhero movies a long time ago. Yeah. So I'm just not, I'm not interested. Um, Yeah. I mean, so that's my thought on game of Thrones anyways. Like it's, it's, there's, too many characters and it gets kind of mundane even though exciting things happen but like he has to write every single characters like every single day out and he might not include it in the book but like you can just you kind of can tell that like he's writing all of this stuff out and it gets kind of like well okay so this character forgot to brush their hair this one morning and that leads to this and that and the other thing because that's out of character for them 
but that's what happened that morning. So now we're going down this path. There's going to be a lot of uh, Game of Thrones post-humus or post-death reading is what you're saying. His estate is going to be uh, probably posting a lot of this. I mean, if he's actually physically writing it out genuinely, yeah, I mean, gonna, and, and I don't know for sure how much he actually is, but yeah, you could get like the daily journals of character A, character B, character double C, or whatever it is, you know, right? Um, and and now they've got the prequel out. Uh, leading up to it, and I don't think he wrote any prequel stuff. So this is just like he sold the rights, and now they're doing a prequel, and they're doing the Lord of the Rings prequel too, I guess. So, uh, two episodes are out right now. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. No, I'm um, not going to either. Not I don't know. The, if I, I probably won't. Do it. I'll just wait and see how the reviews are. You know, I mean, nah, I'm somebody, not gonna, I'm not going to watch it based. I don't care. I don't want to. I don't want. I do don't that. really. I don't. You know. I don't really care either. And and I think part of the reason is because they've been they've been milking and mining these franchises like to exploitation levels that I don't like. I don't have any faith in the modern filmmaker to take these franchises that have built themselves up on their own and then you know, just milk them for that one more drop. Yeah, you know, Led Zeppelin used to write songs about Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And if it's not that good, then I'm not interested because it was amazing at one time. And I, well, yeah. I just don't care. You know, I didn't watch the last uh, Harry Potter movie either. Uh, not Harry Potter, what the hell was it called? <laughs> Wild beasts or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, that stuff. Like yeah, the, 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 I, I watched like the first two, the, the Tales of Grindelwald or okay. uh, Fantastic Beasts. That's what. It was yep. Yeah. Well, they're all like, fantastic. Okay, so all you the... drop the main actor, and now we're gonna continue to watch. Like fuck that. I'm, no. I'm done with it. You know. Yeah, and and those are all like those Fantastic Beasts. It's like what? There's three or four of them, but they're all three, like prequels and. uh they're not really based on the books. They're just, you know, based on whatever. Like they're just filling out little tidbits from the books. So we watched, I think we watched the first one and it, and we really didn't like the first one. Um, all the Harry Potter movies, like the, the full on like Harry Potter movies, they're good. They're all good. I didn't um, like the sixth one. The Half Blood Prince, I did not think did justice to the book. Okay. As a reader of the books, I didn't like it. It yeah. wasn't because it was a bad movie. No. I can't and, see it as a movie because I read the book. So. Yeah. And, you know, and here's understand. the thing is, I like the ending of the movie franchise better than the ending of the books. Really? Because in the, in the books, Harry Potter is like some kind of lame-ass accountant. And not the greatest wizard that ever lived. He was, in, movie, he was a mid-level order. Whatever. He was a bureaucrat. Yes. And in the movies, he's just bringing his kid to the platform. And that's it. And we don't need to know what he's doing. Right? Like, that's the sure. best ending. I don't, I don't need to know that he's living a depressing life as a bureaucrat. He's living a life just like us, man. 
Mid-level, none. Mid-level, nobodies. I know, but I don't want that for my <laughs> my fantasy protagonist. That's not what he needs to be. I liked it just fine. <laughs> I liked it all until that last chapter when they told us what he was. And then I was like, this is the worst. The literal worst. Bad, um, but he was banging the super hot redheaded skank from the whole uh, Weasley universe, right? Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> if that's the price for that, count me out. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, sometimes they do good stuff, but uh, I don't know. See, I, no, I'm done with my cigar. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm at an inch. So, I'm you at know, an inch. It's starting to get a little uh, toasty, but not sour. The flavor is good. Yeah, this one is still good. Uh, whereas the other one got a little sour at the end there, but um, it did. This one's still good. So, what were your what were your thoughts that you wanted to wait and tell me about? Because uh, I liked both of these. Um. It's tough. I think I would probably, I don't know. Like I liked the kind of the, the change of intensity of the Connecticut wrapper better, but I think this Maduro is better all the way through. I would agree. Uh, I had smoked both of these before. And I thought the Connecticut was so-so. Yeah. It was fine. And the Maduro was also fine. Yep. But smoking them Uh, back-to-back, like if you had to choose. Smoking them back-to-back, I would choose the Maduro. Yeah. The Connecticut was good. um, Yeah. But the Maduro was better, I think. Yep. Uh, Marginally so. Marginally so. But it was better. Yeah, Uh, They're not... like you say, they're not like uh, they're not anything I'd read all about, right? No, they're they're good, but they're not intensely good. It's not yeah. something that I would be like, try this. This is really good. It's good enough, but yeah. So we're about you know like eighty minutes in on this podcast. So sure. you know, for a forty-minute cigar, uh, they're both fine. Yeah, but not bad. Not bad. I don't. I don't think you'd you'd smoke one and say, "Man, I'd never smoke that again." Like it's not, um, you know, it's not not anything where you, you it's not mind blowing like the uh, Rocky Patel Fumas, right? Right. But uh, you know, these ones are just fine. It's you know, not a Moon Trance. It's not a Rocky Patel. No. Fuma. It's if not you want Edge Connecticut, the Edge Connecticut's nope. are very good. Yes. Any Edge Connecticut is going to be good. Yep. But if you uh, want a cheap 40-minute cigar, can't go wrong, I don't think, with these. No, that's good. Do you think I'm too positive about all the cigars we smoke? No, I don't think so. Except for Most that. Most of them are decent. S- except for that stupid fucking Blood Red Moon one. That was, I keep them in the box, <laughs> and that's going to be like the... Frank cigar, I think. Okay, that's perfect. how bad it is. It's Give it boring. to the uncle you don't like. Oh my god, it's awful. 
Ugh. This. Maybe one of them would be good. It's almost like they had like a dead animal in one of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's awful. Yeah, they ground up a mouse with the, uh, <laughs> with the leaves. This. Uh, putrid. Uh, terrible. I'd rather smoke a Cheroo than one of oh. these. Oh, well, one of these ones that we just smoked? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather smoke a Cheroo. Yeah. And they're good. Well, oh, yeah. We haven't smoked one on the show yet. Which we Not will. yet. We're going to do a big Cheroo showdown. Yeah, we have to. That'll be a while away. So we're we coordinating. Get, uh, we got to coordinate. Several brands together. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is better than a Backwoods or a oh, yeah. uh, cigar you'd get at a gas station. Yes. And they're flavorful and good. And, the, and these are better than a Ben Maduro, or at least the ones we got. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That the Ben Maduro. A lot of Ben cigars are trash, and these are not trash. They're they're yeah. good, but these are decent. These are decent. You know. Yeah. Um. I think the only one that I'd really ever say no to is the Blood Red Moon. Um. I don't think I could smoke oh, another that. one. Several of the CEO flavors were terrible. Yeah, but not quite as not bad impressed. as the Blood Red Moon. Uh, no, but the you Blood know, Red Moon was awful. The be- the CEO Bella Vanilla was were... really bad too. Yeah, that one yeah. was bad. Um, the other ones I could Outside probably do. Outside of the Moon do. Trance, they don't really have anything going on there. I don't no. know why they make any of the other ones. No, <laughs> you know, but the but the other ones like if somebody had one, and I was like, "Hey, would you smoke one with me?" I probably would, as long as it wasn't the Bella Vanilla. Yeah, but that's true. Because the Irish Dream was okay. It was it was fine. It, it was fine. Like whatever. But it, these were good. They weren't like I don't know. They were just good. Yeah, it was fine. Just good is good enough though for oh yeah two two fifty a stick or whatever. Yeah, for. and it depends on. I think I got them for twenty dollars. Uh, a bundle. Okay. Something like that for like ten. I think I paid two dollars even plus yeah. tax. Okay. So they they're good enough for that for sure. Well, yeah. And it all depends on when you're smoking, where you're smoking, who you're smoking with. So. Right. Yeah, it's great on a lawnmower. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Good times, and not too shabby on a podcast either. So. No. There you go. Very good. As far as that goes. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's about it for the night. That's it. Thanks for listening. Yeah.